Hello, welcome to you all. Firstly, my apologies for this episode being slightly late. I've been slightly under the weather and talking was rather difficult. Talking is a large part of podcasting, as I'm sure you'll be aware, so I had to kind of wait until it was possible. Anyway, on with the show. The last one for a few weeks, I'm afraid. I'm just about to start recording the next Secret History of Hollywood episode, and that will, unfortunately, be taking up every spare moment in my life for a little while. But don't worry, Attaboy Clarence will be back in the new year. I may even try to get a Christmas-themed show out around the festive period. If you're a patron, by the way, then you'll still be getting your bonus Attaboy shows every fortnight. Talking of secret history shows, I was fortunate enough to be interviewed by the New Statesman in the past week on the subject of very long podcasts, and the writer of the piece, Caroline Crampton, has made my ramblings sound almost coherent. Very nice lady. She's one of the co-hosts of the Seriously podcast, which is one of those shows you always see in the top tens of charts. And of course, the New Statesman is one of those very classy publications that I have absolutely no right to feature in, but there you are. Thank you, Caroline. And if any of you would like to read the piece, I shall drop a link in the show notes. Who puts eight great tomatoes in that little bitty can? Who puts eight great tomatoes in that little bitty can? Who puts eight great tomatoes in that a little bitty can? You know who? Uh, you know who? Uh, 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 uh. No, I don't know who. Who puts eight great tomatoes in that little bitty can? You know who? Uh, you know who? Uh, 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 uh. None the wiser. Who puts eight great tomatoes in that little bitty can? Who puts eight great tomatoes? Just tell me who put eight great tomatoes in the little bitty can. In case you don't, it's Constantina tomato paste. Thank you. That was totally worth it. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. So, another show, another dip into the fabled and almost overflowing pot of questions. The first one I pluck is from Royal Canadian Mounted Crocoduck, which sounds like a very exalted position in the Canadian forces, I must say. Either that, or your parents named you after a Frank Zappa song. Anyway, the question is, do you ever save your goofs, slips, and gaffs when you're recording, and will we ever get to hear an Attaboy C Best of Bloopers show? To be, to be honest, Royal Canadian Mounted Crocoduck, the parts I edit are basically me coughing or me swearing because I have coughed. So basically just coughing and swearing. If I edited all of that coughing and swearing together, it would sound like Adele with bronchitis. Next question is from Natalie Goodwin, who asks, Is there an actor slash actress that you would watch in almost anything, even if the film is desperately bad? Yes, I would watch James Cagney in anything. In fact, some of the movies that I consider to be the worst ever, including The Gorilla, The Trollenberg Terror, and Indestructible Man, would have been awesome if they'd starred James Cagney. Same goes for Basil Rathbone. Can you imagine Basil Rathbone as the vampire in The Return of Dr. X? Or as the man trying to tame an elephant in Zenobia? Ooh, I should have been a casting director. 
Next question is from someone named Matilda Roach, who asks, Hey, Dad, are the Alfred Hitchcock movies suitable for me because I really want to watch them? If I can, then great. I can't wait to watch Rear Window. If not, then oh well, maybe when I'm older. You can watch Rear Window if you like, as long as I watch it with you. You can watch lots of Hitchcock films, actually. You can watch The 39 Steps and The Lady Vanishes and The Man Who Knew Too Much. You can't watch Frenzy or Psycho just yet, though. Can she, Mr. Negative Man? I should say not. And here is another question from Matilda Roach, who obviously prefers to use the question pot to communicate with her father. This one reads, Dear Dad, can you do an episode on bringing up baby? Wish granted, my darling. I shall talk about that film later on. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinking cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. Oh, if only I knew how to track down one of the most satisfactory bargains in the clothing business. Suppose we tell you how to track down one of the most satisfactory bargains in the clothing business. Well, that just seemed to come along at the right time, didn't it? Clippercraft concentrates on delivering exactly what you want in your clothes at remarkably low prices for such fine quality. Ah, yes, but I want some long wear. You want long wear? Well, examine the rich, staunchly woven Clippercraft fabrics. Yes, but I want my friends to admire the smartness. And you want the smartness your friends will admire? Clippercraft brings you smart styling, long wear, solid comfort at unbelievably modest prices. Well, that's unbelievable, that is. It's the result of the unique Clippercraft plan, concentrating the buying power of 1036 of the nation's finest stores from coast to coast. 1036. 36. How is that a number? And bringing you amazingly fine suits at only 40 and $45. Top coats in fine coverts and worsted gabardine for only 40 and $45. Sport jackets for only $26.50. And smart tropicals at only $33.75 to $40. Who else badly wants to know what a smart tropical is? Yes, yeah, selling expensive clothes at inexpensive low prices at the nation's finest stores is the great big idea behind the Clippercraft plan. I have a question. Is he saying Clippercraft or Clippercrap? That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes. You see, I would like a Clippercraft suit. I'm not so sure I really want to show off a Clippercrap suit, though I must be honest. I'm only human after all. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. You can't unhear it now, can you? Craft or crap? Clippercraft clothes. So I've been getting a few emails recently, nice ones too, from nice people. So I thought, seeing as how I'm going to be away for a while, let's just blow the dust off an old feature. And let's just drop the needle on a song I haven't played in a long time. E-M-A-I-L spells email. Yes, sing along. One day in my inbox tray... Someone tried to sell to me medicine to heal my impotence. Buy to get one free. This made me feel strange and slightly scared of my sexual powers. But I learned to carry on. And now my inbox is safe and warm. Emails from you and me to say hello, I like your hyperbole about all kinds of old movies. Does this earn me a Canterbury? 
keychains are very frightening. I send you this telegram. Please mark it as not spam. I just watched a fair in Trinidad. It wasn't that bad. Send from my iPad. I won't read every email I've had, but as a sampling, how's about these few? I had a very nice one from a Dominic Delargy who works for the BBC World Service. Fabulous work there, Mr. Delargy. Keep it up. Dominic wrote initially to ask me about old-time radio licensing, but then he pointed me towards a curious little British classic from 1934 that I'd never heard of, and he was kind enough to send it to me via wetransfer.com. So thank you for that, Dominic. I will be reviewing that particular son of a gun later on in the show. Many emails from the delightful Miss Noya Chonghua. We're old friends now, me and Miss Chonghua. We discuss the weather, we talk about politics, but mostly we talk about how awesome the radio series A Case for Dr. Morell is. And death! Thank you, Noya, for your many communications. I don't always have time to write back, but they are appreciated. Another email from the very generous Mr. Simon O'Hagan, who has very kindly asked if I would like some classic DVDs to give away to you guys as prizes. Some great titles in there, I must say. Thank you, Simon. I shall indeed give those films out as prizes to you listeners as soon as they arrive here. So expect lots of competitions coming up thanks to Mr. O'Hagan, and good luck with your house move, sir. An email from the delightful Miss Hallie Coletta, which reads, Hi, Adam. I am a big fan of yours. There is then a very sweet compliment, which will sound ridiculous if I read it to myself, but thank you, Hallie. I am also a hopeless classic Hollywood freak, and I'm so grateful to have found you. Thank you. I came across this antique English transferware dinner service on eBay this morning and thought you must see it for obvious reasons. Keep up the fabulous work. I adore you. Best regards, Hallie Coletta. Well, thank you, Hallie. Very sweet of you. And the dinner service Hallie links to it is a brown Canterbury dinner service. That is not the prettiest thing I've ever seen. But then what do I know about dinner services? It's antique and it's very expensive. And of course, it is from Canterbury. So Hallie, fittingly, you win yourself a Canterbury for that link. So imagine that I'm holding a serving dish and offering it to you at a dinner party. I lift the lid and smack. You get this on your plate. Canterbury. Last email I'll read to you is from a long-time listener, the wonderful Miss Sylvina Cripper, who, God bless her, asks, Hi, Adam, I hope you and the family are well. I hope it's not too cheeky of me to ask for this, but my birthday is coming up, and after such a challenging year, I would love to get a birthday greeting from Suki, my favourite character. Is this possible at all? My birthday is 20th November. I know this show will have gone out after your actual birthday, Sylvina, but as a belated birthday wish, let me see if I can rope Suki into granting your wish. Suki. Suki. I'm behind you. Jeez, why are you behind me? I was waiting. Waiting for what? You'll find out one day. Okay. I'm always waiting and watching. Right. Anyway, Sylvina Cripper is having a birthday. Would you like me to make a birthday cake? No, no. I make birthday cakes in the garden, I do. Uh... I wouldn't consider those to be birthday cakes. They taste like birthday cakes. Anyway, 
Could you please wish Sylvina a happy birthday? She's made a special request. Of course I can. Sylvia. Sylvina. 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 Happy Remembrance Day of your birth. Hopefully your birth was similar to my birth and you were released from the safety of your mother's stomach and into a basket of puppies who immediately began to fight with you. But you showed them you did. You fought them and stood on their faces so that you could be the first one to drink the milk from the pink machines. Suki. I remember when I was born, I do. My hair was all sticking up. I looked like Dolph Lundgren from Rocky IV. Okay. I did. Okay, thank you. Happy birthday, Snoop. Snilv... Happy birthday! Yes, yes, thank you for that. Happy birthday, Snilv... Sylvina. Well, how did you all fare with the Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend challenge last time? I know some of you got it because you told me, and I know some of you didn't get it because you also told me, so how's about we try another one? This episode of What's My Line aired on September 12th, 1954. The guest panellist was Robert Q. Lewis, and my goodness, what a mystery guest to have. Okay, put your ears to the test, listen out for the clues, and see if you can decide. Who the hell is that Hollywood legend? Now we come to another special feature on tonight's programme, the appearance of another mystery celebrity my friends in the panel are masked once again because they'd recognize our guest the mask all in place panel yes sir. yes right will you come in mystery challenger and sign in please all right panel as you know in the case of our mystery celebrity we dispense with all the preliminaries we get right down to the general questioning which we will begin with uh bennett sir I was kind of hoping Marilyn Monroe was coming out here tonight, but I didn't hear any oohs and ahs, so I take it you're not Marilyn Monroe. Is that correct? It is impossible. (laughs) (laughs) That that was just a way of trying to find out whether your voice was a male voice without asking the usual question. You are a gentleman, is that correct? Sometimes. Uh, would your general sphere be the entertainment industry? It is possible, yes. It's possible it also is. Is, is that correct? <coughs> to entertain is difficult. <laughs> you can take the answer as affirmative, yeah. Bennett, and proceed. Uh, you have succeeded in, in this difficult un- endeavor. Have you ever performed this difficult endeavor in the environs of Hollywood? Always. In other words, you're a motion picture picture star, is that correct? Yes. Steam heat is escaping. Uh, Have you got a picture that is either currently on Broadway or within the week or two of opening on Broadway? Of course, naturally. (coughs) There is a picture currently on Broadway in which our guest appears, yes. Is it playing at one of the big theaters on Broadway? We? Off of Broadway? Yeah. We? Well, the question is, which picture it is? Is it a a Technicolor picture? We? Is it a picture that has uh, no singing and dancing in it? A little dancing, possibly. But actually, I think the question is in the the area of, is it a a musical? And that question 
If that's the question, the answer would be no, I think, uh, Bennett. It's not a musical, so you can go. Well, would it be a spectacular picture about ancient times, let's say, in Egypt? Couldn't stop it. <laughs> one down. One down. <laughs> Mind to go, Miss Kilgallen. <laughs> Have you ever been in Harry's Bar in Venice? You ever been in Harry's Bar in Venice? Uh, in 1939, yes. Oh. <laughs> Before your time, darling. Um, this picture that you appear in, have you something other than the starring part? The one that's on Broadway now, or near Broadway? Oui. Uh, have you a much more important part than an acting part in connection with this picture? Naturally. <laughs> um, are the actors a great deal indebted to you for the excellence of this picture? <laughs> well, I'd be making a full part. You're not who I think you are. Our guest says, Dorothy, they had better be. Oh. Um, are you seen doing something with a clock in this picture? And we will stop it there. Do you have an idea? Start your mind cogs are whirring because you have until this clock counts down to decide. Pencils down. If you haven't guessed already, then here is the answer. Are you seen doing something with a clock in this picture? Naturally. Uh, is the picture a rear window? Yes. And are you Mr. Alfred Hitchcock? Yes. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Yes, Alfred Hitchcock. Superb. More chances next time to guess who the hell is that Hollywood legend? In the meantime, if you'll remember that last time I asked you for your reviews of the whimsical British romance from 1948, Miranda, starring Glynis Johns as a mischievous mermaid, well, they came a-flooding in. The one I've chosen to read out comes from Mr. Dan Gale. Now, I'm going to have to give you a slightly abridged version, but his review is excellent. It begins with... A lovely mermaid named Miranda gave a sigh upon her veranda. I'm sleeping with fish, but my ultimate wish is to go hunting for men in Rwanda. Aside from it being set in Cornwall and London, not Africa, that pretty much sums up the plot. Paul, a London doctor played by Griffith Jones, is kidnapped while alone on a fishing trip in Cornwall by a beautiful blonde mermaid with a soft husky voice, two heavy-lidded come-to-sea-bed eyes, perfect lip gloss and a thirst to sew her wild row with any passing salty seamen. This is Miranda, played by the otherworldly Glynis Johns. The film doesn't mess about, and there's mermaid action just three minutes in, with some extremely convincing underwater swimming scenes. Miranda's tale was made by Dunlop, according to the credits, and Glynis herself says in YouTube interviews that the darn thing nearly drowned her. It was so buoyant that she kept upending like a bobbing bottle, face down in the studio tank. The film basically charts her, literally, fish-out-of-water encounters as a London socialite. The opera, the zoo, sitting for a portrait artist, etc. Whilst coming to the terms with what it is to be human on land, as well as maintaining a thin veil of secrecy regarding her fishy backgrounds. 
Aside from eating raw fish sandwiches and having a taste for salt water over champagne, her blatantly honest answers to any questions thrown at her more than drop enough hints about where she's from. For a British film from 1948, it's quite racy. If you care to read between the lines, with Rutherford's nurse Carey warning Miranda against the wandering hands of portrait artists. When I was 16, I sat for a sculpture artist, only I wasn't exactly sitting. There's a blatant joke about Miranda not wearing any panties, but the most risque joke comes at the very end of the film, followed immediately by a crackingly corny end title punchline, both of which you'll have to see for yourselves. I've been under Glynis John's siren spell ever since I saw her in the halfway house from 1944, Ealing's semi-precursor to Dead of Night when I was 16. To find out that she later made two films where she played a semi-nautical nude seductress who went around enticing men for a pastime was an important part of my growing up, however tame the films actually were. Who could fish for anything for? I mean, who could wish for anything more? Catch it if you can. Four star fish out of five. Fabulous review, Mr. Gale, thank you. Do check out the film, folks. It'll be on the website for just a few more days, but if it does disappear, it's thankfully available throughout the web. Well, on to some movie reviews of my own. Three movies to tell you about today. The main problem with the first film I want to tell you about is its title. Strangely, it's a title that you have to tell people twice. It's very odd. The film is called Our Vines Have Tender Grapes, and I kid you not, I was watching this while I made dinner for my family one evening, and one by one they all came into the kitchen, and this is how the conversation went every time. What are you watching? Our Vines Have Tender Grapes. What? Our Vines Have Tender Grapes. Oh, okay. And then they'd leave and someone else would come in. What are you watching? Our Vines Have Tender Grapes. What? Our vines have tender grapes. Oh, okay. And the more you say our vines have tender grapes, the more ridiculous it sounds to you, the person saying it. But putting the title aside for a moment, the film itself tells the story of a farming community in Wisconsin, mainly populated by Norwegian immigrants, told primarily through the eyes of a child, Selma, played by Margaret O'Brien, who's learning all about the world from her parents, played by Edward G. Robinson and Agnes Moorhead. You ever see so many stars? Do people live on the stars? They do, if you want them to. Why is that? Well, because nobody can tell for sure that they don't. I wonder if the people who live on the stars have free barns. Oh, of course, you under me. Up there, every man has a big red barn and a fine herd of cows. It's guaranteed with his birth certificate. Five more minutes until bedtime. I'll turn down your covers. All right. I guess that's why they call it the Milky Way, isn't it? Naturally. See the Big Dipper? Almost running over with milk. As far as plot goes, that is kind of it. It's part coming-of-age tale, part rural drama. There's a romantic plot in there, too, between the town's local reporter and the new schoolmistress. And although it sounds dreadfully twee and almost threadbare, it is one of the most captivating films I've seen all year. Seriously, I could not take my eyes off this thing. It is a magical movie experience. Pure Hollywood enchantment from start to finish. It's almost glowing from the amount of care that MGM took in making it. 
so refreshing to see a film where American farmers of the 20s and 30s aren't all on the breadline or losing their farms because they can't pay their mortgages. Ultimately, the film is a series of life lessons from a wise father to his daughter who ends up using his guidance to become the hero of the town later in the film. And when that moment arrives, it is truly lump-in-your-throat stuff. We are all children by adoption of the land in which we live. The earth is here, and the water and the sunlight, and the labor to make it yield. The only thing which can make a land evil is the people who inhabit it. If we have within ourselves a nobility to share in times of stress and need with those who are destitute, then we can raise our heads with dignity among the princes of the earth. Then we can say with verity, this is a good land, and the men who live in it have no fear. All of you here know what has happened to our good friend Bjorn Bjornsson. Everything's been taken from him. He needs our help. Performances-wise, I don't think I've ever seen Edward G. Robinson in a finer role outside of crime films. He is stupendous. As is Agnes Moorhead, completely superb as mother of the house, the glue holding everything together. Has to be said though, Margaret O'Brien is just a knockout. Completely steals the film and considering the talent around her, that is some achievement. It ends up being a sort of reverse Grapes of Wrath then, a completely heartwarming family drama set around a farm, a very gentle film kind of broke my heart a little bit, and which I absolutely fell head over heels in love with. Our Vines Have Tender Grapes. Silly title. Excellent film. Next up, the film sent to me by Mr. Dominic Delarchi. I do hope I'm saying your name right, by the way, Dominic. This is a film called Over the Garden Wall from 1934. Tell me, what do you do when you don't play bluebells or Scotland? Oh, I, I read. Yes, but don't you go to parties and dances and things like that? No. Why not? Who's to take me? Oh, something's got to be done about this. Don't your uncle and aunt ever take you out? Well, they never go anywhere themselves. Do you think, do you think if I was introduced to them properly, they'd let me take you out? No, they don't like you. But they don't know me. But they don't like your house. They're always complaining of the noise that comes from it. Do you complain? No, I like it. Last night, I listened from my bedroom window. It overlooks your house. Do you mean the little window with the eaves? Yes. I wondered if it was yours. My bedroom overlooks your house. I wondered if it was yours. So the story here is that of two households, the uptight Jennifer and her repressed brother Thorold, and their next-door neighbor, the bohemian Diana and her gal pal Gladys. Between these two households is built a large garden wall from behind which each side regularly flings insults at the other. My dear, those people next door are simply dreadful. Fancy building a wall like that. Yes. Want to hear my new wireless? Mm, I'll turn it on. Thanks. Cream and sugar, please. Yes, Thorold. We can forget they're there. As far as we're concerned, they don't exist. Jennifer? Listen. I'm listening. I'll soon put a stop to that. Paul, open the window. Yes, dear. All of them. Yes, dear. Into this battleground arrive two pretty young things. Mary, who's staying with her aunt Jennifer, and Bunny, who's staying with his aunt Diana. 
Of course, these two fall in love over the garden wall, which sets into motion a gently British version of Romeo and Juliet set to music. First off, although this is advertised as a musical, there are only really a handful of songs. I think there are four. So it's not like they're bursting into song at the drop of a hat. It's more like a Fred and Ginger sort of musical. They stop every now and then to belt out a tune. In fact, the Fred and Ginger comparison applies to the whole film. It's very slick, it's very sophisticated, it's very glamorous, it's very romantic. Seriously, British films of the early 30s generally looked a bit rough around the edges. They looked a bit clipper crap for want of a better word. Famously, they spent much of the decade trying to keep up with American films in terms of production, and they certainly achieved it with this film. This is a remarkably pretty film. Beautiful sets, superb period detail. In fact, it looks like they filmed it on a Hollywood soundstage, which I mean as a great compliment. The songs, too, are really rather cute, especially the first song in the film, which is all about scrounging money from your aunt. I have to go to auntie for everything I need. She's my trustee, but she won't trust me, which is all very wrong indeed. I'll have to handle auntie in quite a tactful way. I rather think I shall have one drink and then go to her and say, You're charming, auntie. I like you, I do. But I do think I ought to have a big enough allowance to be able to be nice to you. You're fond of roses, I'd buy you a few. But I can't because I haven't got a big enough allowance to be able to be nice to you. The story itself is very light. Fair, very whimsical. Of course, the lovers will end up together, but the fun is in the chase. <laughs> I'll tell you what I loved the most about this film, though. I love the faces in the film. Marion Marsh, who was a big Hollywood star at the time and who'd been drafted over to England to make this, is stupefyingly beautiful. Bobby Howes, who plays Bunny, is not your average romantic lead. He's a bit short. He's slightly balding. He's quite a few years older than Marion Marsh. And then you have Bertha Belmore as Aunt Jennifer, who has such a strong face, the kind of face you really do not see on film these days. So full of character. It's strange, isn't it, how leading actors and actresses of this period were all middle-aged. They all looked so lived-in and worldly-wise. Everyone seems to be 17 years old these days. Anyway, a thoroughly entertaining little British rom-com that stands head and shoulders above its British contemporaries of the same period. Do check it out. Lastly, as per my daughter's wishes, let's take a trip to 1938 in the company of Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant in Howard Hawks' classic screwball comedy, Bringing Up Baby. Say, just a minute. I beg your pardon. Oh, dear. You shouldn't do that, you know. But uh, what shouldn't I do? Talk while someone's shooting. Yes, well, anyway, I voice. forgive you because I got a good shot. But you don't understand. See, there it is, right next to the pin. But that has nothing to do with it. Oh, are you playing through? No, I've just driven off the first tee. And I, I see you're a stranger here. You should be over there. This is the 18th fairway, and I'm right on the green. Yeah, well, if I think this part, I'm going to beat my record. What kind of ball are you playing? PGA. But I'm playing a crow flight. Mm, I like a PGA better. No, I'm just trying to prove to you that you're playing my ball. You see, a PGA has two black dots, and a crow flight has a circle. Mm, I think. I'm not superstitious you, about things like that. There, you see, it's a circle. Well, now, of course it is. Do you think it would roll if it was square? No, I have reference to a mark on the ball. I that know, proves I it's a crow flight, that's well, my ball. What does it matter? It's only a game anyway. Well, my dear young lady, you don't seem to realize you've placed me in a very embarrassing position. 
Oh, Lily, I'm sorry. The most important corporation lawyer in New York is waiting for me over on the first fairway. Then it's silly of you to be fooling around on the 18th green. <laughs> so Cary Grant plays Dr. David Huxley, a paleontologist who has three very important things in his life. The first of these is that he's about to receive the last bone he needs in order to complete his full brontosaurus skeleton exhibit. The second is that he's about to meet with a lawyer, Mr. Peabody, who represents a wealthy philanthropist, from whom David is hoping to secure a $1 million donation to his museum. The third is that David is about to be married to the uptight Alice. Oh, just think of it, Professor. The last bone we needed to complete the brontosaurus, the very last bone, the intercostal clavicle, is arriving tomorrow after four years' hard work. Congratulations, my boy. Oh, isn't it great? I can hardly believe it. Oh, Alice! Stop it! Really, David, there's a time and a place for everything. What would Professor Latouche say? After all, my dear, you're getting married tomorrow. Yes, I know we are. Oh, yes, really. that's right. We're getting married tomorrow. Hey, isn't that odd? Two such important things happening on the same day. I think the occasion calls for a celebration. Oh, don't you worry, Professor. We're going to celebrate. We're going to go away directly. We've been married. Going away? Why, what are you thinking of, David? After receiving this telegram? Oh, well, we planned Why, it. as soon as we're married, we're coming directly back here and you're going on with your work. Oh, well, Alice, do you... Now, uh, once and for all, David, nothing must interfere with your work. Oh. Our marriage must entail no domestic oh. entanglements of any kind. You, you mean, you mean... I mean of any kind, David. Oh, well, Alice, I was sort of hoping... Well, you mean, you mean children and all that sort exactly. of thing? Exactly. Oh. Oh. This will be our child. Yeah, huh? Yes, oh, David, nice. I see our marriage purely as a dedication to your work. Well, gee whiz, Alice, everybody has to have a honeymoon and... and but we haven't and... time. But just as all of these things are about to happen, into David's life comes Susan Vance, a walking storm of trouble, who, along with her pet leopard, Baby, seems intent on derailing all of David's well-laid-out plans. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Oh. You better change your mind about coming to Connecticut. Susan, we settled that question once and for all. But wh what about my leopard? <laughs> That's your problem. It's not all my problem. Susan, will you please go away? All right, David. Since he likes you so much, I've decided to give him to you. I won't take him. <laughs> You've got him. Classic stuff, then. One of those films that, even though it only runs for 102 minutes, must have had a script like an absolute Bible. There is so much dialogue in it. But crucially, it's mixed with some excellent physical comedy, some scintillating sight gags, and played with absolute panache by its cast. And that doesn't just stretch to Grant and Hepburn, just make your way down that cast list. Walter Catlett, who played the voice of Honest John in Disney's Pinocchio, Mae Robeson, Charlie Ruggles, Barry Fitzgerald, Fritz Feld, even Ward Bond and Jack Carson pop up in tiny roles and everyone gives a perfect performance. Even George the Dog is brilliant. He's played by famous pooch Skippy, who played Aster in the Thin Man movies. So quality stamped all over this thing. It does get a little noisy towards the end. You have three characters talking rapid fire over each other, plus barking dogs and growling leopards. But as an example of quintessential Hollywood golden age screwball comedy, it is quite simply unbeatable. One of the all-time greats. Well, for today's radio entertainment, I thought we'd go to another classic Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn team up, one of the most successful comedies of all time, and the film that ended up netting its third star, James Stewart, the Academy Award for Best Actor. 
He features in the cast here too, alongside Grant and Hepburn, taking time away from his military duties to recreate his Oscar-winning role in The Philadelphia Story, presented here by everybody's favorite radio theater, Lux. So let's go on over there now for an hour of classic Hollywood at its very finest. And we'll see you afterwards. Our play is Philip Barry's brilliant comedy, The Philadelphia Story. And our stars are the same famous quartet who played it on the screen. Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, James Stewart, and Ruth Hesse. Incidentally, we, we used to borrow Jimmy Stewart from his picture studio. Tonight, he was assigned to us by Uncle Sam. As you know, he's now a lieutenant in the United States Army Air Forces. Before he reached the screen, The Philadelphia Story ran for a year on Broadway with Miss Hepburn as the star. Backstage one night, I tried to persuade the lady to let me make the picture. She was very gracious, but another producer made the picture. However, all things come to him who waits if he waits long enough. So tonight, I raise the curtain on the first act of The Philadelphia Story, starring Cary Grant as C.K. Dexter Haven, Catherine Hepburn as Tracy Lord, Lieutenant James Stewart as Mike Connor, Ruth Hussey as Elizabeth Embry, and Virginia Widler as Dinah. And don't bother to come back. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just been listening to the end of an ideal marriage. That was Mr. C.K. Dexter Haven being invited out of his happy home, with Mrs. Tracy Lord Haven issuing the invitation. But all that was two years ago. Right now, Philadelphia society is seething with interest over the forthcoming second marriage of Tracy Lord. And the editor of the international magazine Spy is determined to spread it over six photographic pages of his scandal sheet. On the way to the editor's office, our spy's major writer and spy's foremost photographer. I'm not going to do it, Liz. I'm going to tell Sidney Kidd very plainly and simply I'm a writer and no society snoop. I'm going to tell him just that. Just that. Let Kidd fire me. I'll start writing short stories again. I'm going to tell him just that. Just that. Come in. Oh, hello, Colonel. Morning, Miss Embry. Mr. Kidd, I don't think you're being fair to me. No? No. Now, you're treating me like you treat all your other writers. You really hate me, don't you, Connor? No, no. I, I don't like you very much, though. You hate me, I trust, Miss Embry? No, I can't afford to hate anybody. I'm only a photographer. Your assignment will be Spy's most sensational achievement. Tracy's Samantha Lord. Big game hunting in Africa, fox hunting in Pennsylvania. Why, I can see the layout now. The Philadelphia story. Those were the portals of snobbish fox hunting. No, no. No hunter of foxes is Spy magazine. Anyway, presented for the first time, quote, a wedding day inside mainline society. Or what the kitchen maid saw through the keyhole, unquote. Go ahead, Connor. Writing's your job. I'm only the publisher. All right, publisher. Take this. Quote, no hunter of buckshot in the rear is cagey, crafty Connor. Unquote. Closed paragraph. Closed job. Closed bank account. But look, Mr. Kidd, how could we possibly get inside the Lord Estate, let alone the house? Uh, just a moment. Uh, Miss Pauley? Yes, sir. Ask the gentleman to come in. You'll find, Miss Embry, I haven't overlooked anything. Uh, come in, please, Mr... Come in, come in. I understand we understand each other. Yes, Mr. Kidd, quite. Connor, this gentleman has been employed in our Buenos Aires office. I believe he can help us with our problem. Uh-huh. Uh, tell him, please. 
Well, Tracy Lord's brother, Junius, is in the American Embassy down there. He's an old friend of mine. I'll introduce you to the Lords as intimate friends of Junius's. Dear old Junius. Now, this Tracy, Samantha Lord, does she know you? You might say Miss Lord and I grew up together. Yes. You might also say you were her first husband, Mr. C.K. Dexterhaven. Yes, you might. Holy mackerel, what goes on here? I remember your honeymoon very well. You and she on a little sailboat, the true love, wasn't it? That's right. How did you know? I was the only photographer whose camera you didn't smash. Oh, you were terribly nice about it. You threw it overboard. Well, I had the strange idea that our honeymoon, excuse me, was our own private business. Now, what are the plans, Haven? The wedding Saturday. They should spend tomorrow night as guests of the Lord. Well, now, wait just a minute. Now, there's something screwy here. Now, listen, Mr. Haven, why are you doing all this unless you... Oh, oh, you want to get even with your ex-bride, huh? I don't think there's anything further to discuss. I'll have a car pick them up at noon tomorrow in North Philadelphia. Why, that late? Uh, here, uh-huh. Mike, hmm? take my handkerchief. There's a little spit in your eye. It shows. Yes, Miss Diner. She's in the sitting room, making a list of the wedding gifts. Tracy. Mother, how do you spell omelette? Oh, you. Why didn't you answer me? Omelette, Mother. Omelette? O-M-M-E-L-E-T. I thought that was another L. That's a funny wedding present. An omelette, dear. Silver dish. Diner, bring some of that junk off the table. Is this a present? It stinks. Don't say stinks, darling. If absolutely necessary, it smells, but only if absolutely necessary. Mother, the cards on the presents have been changed again. There must be a ghost loose in the house. Maybe the ghost of bridegroom number one. Dinah, don't talk about Dexter as though he were dead. He might just as well be for all Tracy cares. Right. If I never see Mr. C.K. Dexter Haven again, I'll be... Mother, look at that lamp. Isn't it awful? Who sent it? They're friends of your father's. Wouldn't you know it? What are they, tap dancers or just musical comedy producers? It's hardly fair to your father's interest in art, Tracy. Art, my eye, the art of putting up $100,000 to display the shapely legs of Tina Mara. That will do, Tracy. Oh, I give up, Mother. You just face the facts squarely, as I did. Well, we both might face the facts, but neither of us has proved to be a very great success as a wife. We just picked the wrong first husband, that's all. Well, don't let's argue about it. You wanted me to take a stand, and I've taken it. The only stand a woman could take and keep her self-respect. Yes, Tracy, I know. Now I have my self-respect and no husband. Hey, it's better this way, really. You'll see. Let's forget about the past. We both deserve some happiness now, especially you. Darling. Isn't George an angel? George is an angel. Is he handsome or is he not? George is handsome. I like Dexter better. Really? Why don't you postpone the wedding? Postpone it? How? Get smallpox. Don't put that idea in her head. What time is it? George isn't usually late. Oh, uh, he's waiting for us at the stable. Waiting for us at the... Mother, if I don't choke her before Saturday... It'd postpone the wedding, wouldn't it? It would not. Be in the car when I get down, Donna. She's so mean about Dexter. He was rather mean to her, my dear. Did he really sock her? Please, Donna. Well, the papers were full of Anando. Of what? Of Anando. Cruelty and drunkenness, it said. Mother... Why won't Tracy ask her own father to the wedding? Your sister has very definite opinions about certain things. But don't you think it's stinking not to want father? Yes, darling. Between ourselves, I think it's good and stinking. Where do you see your fiancé? He's all shiny. What are you talking about? Brand new riding breeches. See? Hello there. Well, who's that 
terribly attractive man. Hello, darling. Hello, George. Well, how do you like me? I adore you, but you look awful. Awful? You look like something right out of a shop window. Tracy, I... Help me, Dinah. We'll rub a little dirt on those britches. Hey, listen now, just a minute. No, 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 stop. Now, listen, these are new pants. That's just it. They're new, but they're not going to be. There, that's better. I, I don't get it. When I was a coal miner, the idea was to get enough money to buy clean clothes, and now that I'm general George, manager... what's that thing you were reading? This? Oh, I was just glancing through it. It's a copy of Spy. Who takes it? Your cook? I love it. It's got pictures of everything. It certainly has. I just wanted to see if there was anything in here about the wedding. What do you mean? Well, I thought maybe you being one of the oldest families in Philadelphia and me getting fairly important myself. Luck, of course. Let me have that thing. What's the matter? Look at this stuff. An average day in the life of a congressman, the congressman's wife, the kitchen where he's prepared one banana, sliced, two fried eggs, of all the filthy ideas coming into a private house with a camera. Get on that horse, George Kittredge. Tracy, what would happen if I took it into my head someday to go into politics? You'd be elected president. No, I mean about publicity. Not in my home. Get on that horse. Hey, where is everybody? Dexter! Dexter! Hello, Dinah! Dexter, you've come back! Ah, Dinah, my dream girl. Tracy! Dexter's here! Dexter! <laughs> What in the name of... Well, hello, Tracy. Oh, Victor. How are you, Mother Lord? Victor, don't you know that tomorrow's the wedding? Oh, no. Oh, that's right. So it is. You can go right back where you came from. Now, Red, look. You don't think I'd miss your wedding, do you? When did you arrive? Tell us all about Junius. Well, Junius is fine. Oh, he should be here. Well, he's heartbroken. I suggested representing him as best man. But... I'm afraid George might prefer to have his best man sober. Oh, you represent George. That's my loyal little girl, Dinah. Oh, you'll like the people Junius did send, though, I'm sure. You haven't switched from liquor to dope by any chance, have you, Dexter? <laughs> the people Junius did send? Yes, you don't have to know a Macaulay Connor on Elizabeth Embry, do you? No, I don't. Well, then you'd better come along and be introduced. You see, they're great friends of Junius's. Do they expect to stay here over the wedding? I think it's very queer indeed. I think it's queerer than that. I think it's paranoid. You're lying, Dexter. I can always tell. Can you, Red? You went to work after the divorce, didn't you? Well, yes, except for a brief interview in a couple of alcoholic sanitariums. But you took a job in South America. Who for? A magazine. And it wasn't by any chance spy magazine. You are a mess of intuition. And I don't suppose the juniors is friends of photographers by any chance. Oh, I knew you were low, but I never thought you'd think to anything. What are you going to do? After I telephone Junius, I'm going to do plenty. Uh, no, 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 wait, Red, wait, wait. I confess, you don't have to telephone Junius. So, you confess? Ah, uh, no. No, you're slipping, Red. I used to be afraid of that look. The withering glance of the goddess. Oh, <laughs> shut up. Now, look, Red, about this man Connor and, uh... I'll take care of them. Who do they think they are, barging in on peaceful people? Oh, sure, sure. I just think you don't want them. I want them out, and you too. Yes, Your Majesty, but first... Could I interest you in some small blackmail? No. What do you mean, blackmail? Well, it's an article. Complete the no. snapshots, details, and insinuations, and it's ready for publication in Spy. And it's about your father and that dancer in New York, you see? About father and Tina Morrow? Oh, yeah, Spy. Dinah may be listening. But they can't. They... Even if it's true. Where'd you get this stuff? From one Sydney kid, the editor and publisher. He's got to be stopped. Well, he is, temporarily. That is, if you'll allow those two to turn in a story on your wedding. And when kid says a story, he means a story. I'm going to be sick. Yes, dear. An intimate day with a society bride. <laughs> I am sick. Well, it's tough, but that's the way it seems to be. So I'm to be examined, undressed, and generally humiliated at 15 cents a coffee. And you, you... 
You're loving it. Am I, Red? All right, I'll give them an interview. I'll give them a picture of Tracy Lord that'll stand their hair on end. What is this room? I forgot my comfort. Well, this would be the South Southwest Parlor by Living Room or something. Say, uh, what's this guy Haven up to? C.K. Dexter Haven. Yeah, what kind of a name is that? Macaulay Connors, no home fun tag, my pet. Yeah, well, just try calling me Macaulay. I knew a plain Joe Smith once. He was only a clerk in a hardware store, but he was an absolute rat. Mike, take your feet off the table. Oh, uh, well, no, tell, tell four footmen to call me for lunch, will you? How do you do? Oh, I'm sorry. Don't bother to get up. I'm Tracy Lewis. Oh, well, my name is... It's so nice having McCullough. you here. How did you leave Junior? Uh, fine. Junior's Junior. This is Miss... Junior's Am- is such a lamb, isn't uh, he? Yes, isn't he? It's a pity that none of the male members of the family are going to be here to no. welcome you. No, well, uh, well, where's your father? Darling, Papa, I do hope you'll stay for my wedding. We'd like to very much. I'm so glad that it occurred to you. Was your father sex? What um, a cunning little camera. I'm we... afraid I'm an awful nuisance with it. But you couldn't be. I hope you'll take loads of pictures. You're a kind of uh, writer, aren't you, Mr. Connor? Sort of. Hmm, a book? Uh, yes, a book, sort of, a book of short stories. Under what name I... do you publish? My own, Macaulay Connor. What's the Macaulay for? Well, my father taught English history. I'm Mike to my friends. Of whom you have I... many, I'm sure. <laughs> English history has always fascinated me. Cromwell, Robin Hood, Jack the Ripper. Where did he teach? I mean, your father. Well, he taught in a little high school in South Bend, Indiana. South Bend, it sounds like dancing, doesn't it? You must have had a most happy childhood there. Oh, it was terrific. I'm so glad. Well, no, I didn't mean it that way. I'm so sorry. Why? Well, I don't know. Lack of wherewithal, I guess. But that doesn't always cause unhappiness, does it? Uh, either of you married. No. No, what? No. You mean you were, but now you're divorced. Well, the fact is... Well, come now, surely you're not ashamed of it. Of course I'm not ashamed of it. What? Well, it it, it was years ago I was... Only a kid in Duluth. Heavens, heavens, you never told me anything about this. Well, you never asked me. Well, I didn't ask you. Of course not. Joe Smith. Hardware. You're the darndest girl. (laughs) I think I'm sweet. Duluth. That must be a lovely spot. It's west of here, isn't it? Sort of. But occasionally we get the breezes. And this is your first visit in Philadelphia. It's a quaint old place, don't you think? Filled with relics. Tell me something. Are you two going together? Well, now, I beg uh, you, please. Odd question, I must say. I don't see why. I think it's very interesting. Don't you agree, uh, Miss Imbray, that if a man says he loves a girl, he ought to marry her? Can she be human? Please, Mr. Connor, I ask this young lady a question. I beg Well, uh, that depends. I, I'll it... see what's keeping Mama. You'll excuse me, won't you? Who's, that, who's doing the interviewing here? Anyway. You don't suppose she's caught on somehow? Oh, no, no, she was born that way, but I've still got to get an interview. Well, try the town library. You can probably dig up enough stuff to hang her whole family. Book return, Miss Bow. Just leave it, please. Uh, excuse me, are you the librarian? Yes. What does he wish? Well, I'm looking for a local... What'd you say? What does thee wish? I'm looking for a uh, local biography of history. If they will consult with my colleague over there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dost thou have a washroom? 
to the left. Thank thee. <laughs> oh, are you reading? Look, I know this is a public library, but I... Oh. Hello. What, well, my book, huh? Why, couldn't you afford to buy a copy? The bookstore didn't have one. Oh, well, you sure you're doing the right thing now. You know, what happens to girls like you when they read books like mine and begin to think? That's bad. These stories are beautiful. Why, Connor, they're almost poetry. Well, don't kid yourself. They are. I can't make you out at all now. Really? You talk so big and tough, and then you write like this. Which is which? Both, I guess. No, I believe you put the toughness on to save your skin. You think so? I know a little about that. Really? Quite a lot. Please. Look, look. Let's get out of here. Want to swim? All right. Hello, Connor? Yeah, thanks. Boy, you really got something here. Where? Well, I mean all this. Garden, swimming pool. You could sail a small yacht on there. Hey, what were we talking about? Oh, my book. Yeah. Tell me something, will you? When you can do a thing like that book... How can you possibly do anything else? Well, you may not believe this, but there are people in this world that must earn their living. Oh, heck, that Dexter. Look, stand by me, will you? I don't want to be alone with him. Well, certainly, if you like. Thanks. Hello there, Red. Well, fancy seeing you here. Well, what's this you've been drinking? Orange juice? Thanks, I'd love some. Don't tell me you've forsaken your beloved whiskey and whiskey. Oh, no, 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 no. I've just changed their color, that's all. I go in for the pale pastel shades now. How about you, Mr. Connor? You drink, don't you? Oh, a little. A little? And you're a writer? Dear me. Dear me. I thought all writers drank to excess and beat their wives. Dexter. Huh? What? Would you mind doing something for me? Anything. What? Get the heck out of here. Oh, my dear, dear Red. I couldn't do that. You need me too much. Would you mind telling me just what it is you're hanging around for? Look, I think I've got No, 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 no. Please don't go, Mr. Connor. No, 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 no. Please don't go, Mr. Connor. As a writer, this ought to be right up your street. Don't miss a word. Well, I never saw you looking better, Red. You're getting that fine, tawny look. Oh, we're going to talk about me, are we? Goody. Yes, it's astonishing, astonishing what money can do for people, Mr. Connor. Not too much, you know, just more than enough. <laughs> now, take Tracy, for example. It's even changed her shape. She was a dumpy little thing at one time. Only as it happens, I'm not interested in myself for the moment. Not interested in yourself? You're fascinated, Red. You're far and away your favorite person in the world. Of course, Mr. Connor, she's a girl who's generous to a fault except to other people's faults. For instance, she never had any understanding of my deep and gorgeous thirst. It was disgusting. It made you so unattractive. Yes, a weakness, sure. And strength is her religion, Mr. Connor. She finds human imperfection unforgivable. And when I gradually discovered that my relationship to her was supposed to be not that of a loving husband and a good companion, but that of a kind of high priest to a goddess, well, then my drinks got deeper and more frequent. I never considered you as that, nor myself. Well, you did without knowing it. <laughs> and the night that you got drunk on champagne and climbed out on the roof and stood there in your nightshirt <laughs> with your arms out to the moon, wailing like a banshee. <laughs> I told you I never had the slightest recollection of uh, doing any such thing. I know, I know. You drew a blank. You wanted to. Mr. Connor, what would you... Oh. Where did he go? He's gone. I hope he heard what, he, what you said, though. Make a wonderful story for Spark. Yeah, well, it's too bad we can't supply photographs of you on the roof. Dexter, what are you trying to make me out as? Tracy, what do you fancy yourself as? When I read you were going to marry Kittredge, I couldn't believe it. That's why I'm here. 
How in the world can you even think of it? Because he's everything you're not. Oh, yes? He's been poor, he's had to work, and he's had to fight for everything. And I love him as I never even began to love you. Maybe so, but I doubt it. I think it's just a swing from me. But Kittridge is no great tower of strength, Tracy. He's just a tower. You hardly know him. Well, to hardly know him is to know him well. Kittridge is not for you, Red. You bet he's for me. He's a great man and a good man. Already, he's of national importance. Oh, my, you sound like spy magazine talking. You seem quite contemptuous of me all of a sudden. No, Red, not of you. I'm contemptuous of something inside you. Your so-called strength. Your prejudice against weakness. Your blank intolerance. Is that all? Well, that's the gist of it. Because you'll never be a first-class human being or a first-class woman until you've learned to have some regard for human frailty. Yeah, it's a pity your own foot can't slip a little sometime. But your sense of divinity wouldn't allow that. You're a special class of the American female. The married maidens. So help me, Dex, if you say another word, I'll... Oh, I'm through, Red. For the moment, I've had my say. Crazy. Oh, look, the Tower of Strength. I, uh... I suppose I should object to this, too, Sir Well, that would be most objectionable. Well, any time either of you want my advice... We'll give you a ring. Thanks. Do that, will you? Well, so long, Red. Oh, uh... Here's a little wedding present. Sorry I hadn't any ribbon to tie it up with. Well, so long, Kittredge. So long. Hmm. Should we open this, Tracer? Go ahead. I must remember to send him a note along with the others. Well, who... What is it? Look what your friend considers a wedding present. Why, it's... It's a model of the true love. The what? The true love. A boat he designed and built practically. We sailed it on the coast of Maine and back the summer we were married. My, she was yaw. Yaw? What's that mean? It means... Oh, what does it mean? Easy to handle, quick to the helm, fast, bright. Everything a boat could be. Until she develops dry rock. In a moment, Mr. DeMille presents Act Two of the Philadelphia Story. Less than 20 minutes ago, a great many of you heard Cecil Brown say, and I quote exactly... In the Far East, American bombers brought new encouragement to the courageous Chinese. The Americans swooped down on Canton Airdrome in South China and caught 60 Japanese aircraft massed on the field. The bomb bays opened and most of those Japanese aircraft are no more. I wonder if you feel that you had anything to do with what happened there. Well, if you're a worker, perhaps the planes you worked on were in that fight. Perhaps someone in your family or one of your friends was fighting there. But how about you, personally? Did you have anything to do with it? If you're buying government bonds, you did. Because your dollars were fighting there and doing their utmost. Everybody can send dollars fighting. I was at the post office the other day, and it took my breath away to see the people crowd up to get their bonds. Rich man, poor man, bringing stamps and cash for bonds. They could almost see their money go marching. There was a satisfaction, a sense of belonging that just never comes to people that sit on the sidelines. And if you don't know that feeling, that glow, then you're missing something real. Maybe 10% of your income is tough, but do it. And if 10% is easy, make it more. Are we going to win this war? President Roosevelt says we can, we must, we will. Won't you say that too? And then make it real by starting to put 10% of all you earn into war bonds. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Philadelphia stories. 
Starring Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, James Stewart, Ruth Hattie, and Virginia Wildlife. On the eve of Tracy Lord's wedding, her ex-husband's presence is no comfort. No comfort either is Dinah, who rushes in with news of a new complication. Tracy! Tracy! He came anyway. He's here right now. Who's here? Father. Father. On the terrace, Tracy Lord faces her father and mother. In her eyes, there's nothing but scorn. Now, Tracy, remember, your Uncle Willie's guest of honor tonight. You mustn't be late. I just saw that fiancé of yours, Tracy. He roared out of here on two wheels. Does he by any chance ever walk anywhere? Funny likes, I expect. Mm. I have a feeling he'll take the ring tomorrow and go right through center with it. <laughs> Seth, you idiot. Very amusing, I'm sure. Almost as amusing as the picture of you with your arm around Mother. Oh, I find very unamusing the stupid, undignified spectacle we're making of ourselves. For the benefit of those two newspaper people. Of course, inasmuch as you let us in for it in the first place. Oh, do keep that note out of your voice, Tracy. It's most unattractive. Oh? How does your dancer friend talk, or does she purr? Tracy, you've got a heck of a nerve to come back here in your best head of the family manner and strike attitudes and criticize my fiancé and give orders and mess things up generally. Stop. Mm -hmm. I can't help it. It's sickening as if he'd done nothing at all. Anyway, it's not for a fair, Tracy. If he concerns anyone, well, well, actually, I, I don't know who he concerns except your father. That's very wise of you, Margaret. What most wives fail to realize is that their husband's philandering has nothing whatever to do with him. Oh? Then what have it to do with? Uh, a reluctance to grow old, I think. I suppose the best mainstay a man can have as he gets along in years is a daughter. The, uh, the right kind of daughter. How sweet. Full of warmth. Full of foolish, unquestioning, uncritical affection. None of which I've got? None. You have a good mind, a pretty face. You have everything it takes to make a lovely woman, Tracy, except the one essential. An understanding heart. Without it, you might just as well be made of bronze. That's, a, that's an awful thing to say to anyone. Indeed it is. So... I'm to blame for Tina Mara, am I? To some extent, I expect you are. You coward. No, but better to be one than a prig and a perennial spinster, however many marriages. Seth, that's too much. What, what did you say I was? You want me to repeat it? A prig and a... You mean you think I... Think I'm some kind of a goddess or something? If your ego wishes to call it that, yes. Come along, Margaret. <laughs> Tracy, haven't you danced enough? Danced enough. You know what time it is. It's after four. In China, it's later than that. In China, we'd be married by now. Or perhaps it's only yesterday. Tracy, I don't understand you tonight. What's the matter? What's the matter with everybody? You never drink, Tracy. You got that wrong. Briggs don't drink. What? Nor spinsters. Tracy. Nor goddesses of any variety. Tracy, that's enough. Connor of South Bend reporting for duty. May I cut in? I'm sorry, Connor. We're going home after this dance. Oh, now you can't do that to me. Not an old friend of Junior's. I wish old Junior's were here. Tracy, I'll get your wraps. I'll be right back. You'll wrap me up. Hello, you. Hello. Hey, you look fine. I feel fine. Good, good, good. What was I saying? <laughs> oh, let's have another drink. Or, or would Kittredge thank? That's not what you were saying. Uh, no, of course it was. What was I saying? You... Oh, I know. Why do you wish your brother was here? Does he like Kittredge? Everybody likes Kittredge. Everybody likes Kittredge. Everybody except the kid Dexter Haven, huh? 
C.K. Dexter Haven. Where, uh, where is C.K. Dexter Haven? He didn't come. He's home. He's home, huh? Mm-hmm. I think I'll go and have a little talk with him. Come on, Connor. Let, let's have some wine. Let's have some wine. Mm-hmm. Here, dear. Here's your rat. No, we're going to have just one more drink before... Not you, I'm afraid, dear. Why should you be afraid, George? You know wine never affects me, not in the slightest. <laughs> Bottle of champagne. Champagne is a great leveler. 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 It makes you my equal. Oh, I wouldn't quite say that. Well, almost my equal. Anyway, C.K. Dexter Heaven, I would like to talk to you. All right. Well, let's go in the talking room. Now, don't tell me the party's over so soon. No, no. I just felt like talking to you. Well, that's nice. I wonder if I might boil a drink. Certainly. Hold the Newcastle. Here, here. Sit down. Sit down. Thank you. Excuse me. Huh? Oh, nothing, nothing. Huh. Listen, are you still in love with Tracy Lord? What? Or perhaps you consider that a very personal question. Not at all. Liz thinks you are. Liz thinks you are. But, of course, women like to romanticize about things. Yes, they do, don't they? Yes, they do, don't they? <laughs> you know, I can't understand how you can have been married to her and still know so little about her. Can't you? No, I can't you. I have the hiccup. No. <laughs> I wonder if I might have another drink. Certainly. Thank you. You know, Tracy's no ordinary woman, and you said some things to her this afternoon that I resented. Well, I apologize, Mr. Connor. That's quite all right. That's quite all right. But when a girl is like Tracy, she's one in a million. She's sort of... Like a, uh, sort of like a... Uh, uh, a goddess? No, 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 you said that this afternoon. No, she's sort of like a queen. A radiant, glorious queen. And, and you can't treat her like other women. Hmm. No, I suppose not. But then I imagine Kittredge appreciates all that. Oh, Kittredge. Kittredge appreciates Kittredge. That fake man of the people, that five-cent edition of Sydney Kid. Hmm. I always thought Kid himself was the five-cent kid. You know, kids just using you like he uses everybody else. That guy's colossal. He's terrific. He's got everybody fooled. Yes, yes. No mean Machiavelli is smiling, cynical Sidney kid. The world's his oyster with an R in every month. Well, that's not bad. When did I say that? You didn't. I did. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> I suppose you never heard of Kid's Little Arrangement in Kansas City. Nope. Or San Francisco. Well, let me tell you about the time he went to Boston. That... The true story of that little John would ruin Oh, yes? Hmm. Hey, look here. What would happen to you if I used that stuff? Why? Well, I might want to very much. You see, Kid is holding an article on Tracy's father, and this might stop him. Oh, blackmail, huh? Well, look. Well, look, you just use it. Use it with my blessings. I'm through anyway. All right, now, come on. Sit down there. I gotta go back to Tracy. Not yet, not yet. Now, you dictate, I'll write. Now, shoot. Boston. Huh? What? Boston. Oh, oh. Uh, the time, May 1938, the place, Boston, and a hotel. Kid is just... You know, Tracy, uh, champagne's funny stuff. I, I 
I'm used to whiskey. Whiskey's sort of a slap on the back, champagne, heavy mist before my eyes. It was nice of you to bring me home. I have a little mist, too. Hey, what's that? <laughs> Music. Dad? Uh-uh. I tell you what. Let's have a quick swim to brighten us up. Dex and I always swam after parties. Uh-uh. Let's uh, dip into some of the champagne <laughs> Hello. You? Hello. You look fine. I feel fine. Did you enjoy the party? Sure, sure. The prettiest sight in this fine, pretty world is the privileged class enjoying its privilege. You're a snob, Connor. No doubt, no doubt. A wash with champagne was Will Q. Tracy's pleasure dome on the nuptial eve of Tracy's... Oh, now listen, you can't marry that guy. George, I'm going to. Why not? Well, I don't know. I've thought it before at first, but you just don't seem to match up. Then the fault's with me. Well, maybe so, but all the same, you're quite a girl, Tracy Lowe. You think? Yeah, I know. Thank you, Professor. I don't think I'm exceptional. Yeah, you are, though. I know any number like me. You ought to get around more. In the upper class? No, no, thank you. What have classes to do with it? George comes from the so-called... Lower class. Dexter from the upper. I'll take the lower, thanks. If you can't get a drawing room. What? <laughs> what do you mean by that? My mistake. <laughs> You're insulting. What? Sorry. Oh, don't apologize. Well, who's apologizing? I never knew such a man. Crazy. What do you want? You're wonderful. There's a magnificence in you, Tracy. No, I'm getting self-conscious. It's funny. I might... Yeah. Let's... Yeah, let's go. I don't know. Go off, I guess it's late. A magnificence that comes out of your eyes and your voice and the way you stand there and the way you walk. You're lit from within, Tracy. You've got fires banked down in you. Hearth fires and holocaust. I... I don't seem to you made of bronze, then. No. You're made of flesh and blood. That's the blank, unholy surprise of it. You're the golden girl, Tracy full of life and warmth and delight. And hey, what goes on here? You've got tears in your eyes. Shut up, shut up. Oh, Mike, keep talking, keep talking, talk, will you? No, 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 I've stopped. Why? Has your mind taken hold again, dear Professor? All right, now lay off that Professor stuff, you hear me? Yes, Professor. That's really all I am to you, is it? Of course, Professor. You sure? Come here. What are you, Professor? Are you sure? Yes, of course, I'm, I'm, oh... Oh. Golly. Golly, Moses. Tracy. Mr. Connor, Mr. Connor. Let me tell you something, Tracy. No, don't all of a sudden I've got the shake. Can't be anything like love, can it? No, no, it mustn't be. It can't. Would it be inconvenient? Terribly. Anyway, I know it isn't. Oh, Mike, we're out of our minds. Right into our hearts. That ought to have music. It does, doesn't it? Oh, Tracy, you're so loud. Oh, it's as if my insteps were melting away. What is it? Have I got feet of clay or something? Tracy. Mike, it's not part of the pool. It's just over the lawn and in the birch grove. It'll be lovely now. Tracy, you're tremendous. Put me in your pocket, Mike. Who's that out there? Hello, Mac. Dexter. Any prowlers around? No, no prowlers, sir. Can I get in this way? Well, if you can't, you can always go in the front, sir. Yes, well, thanks, Mac. Good night. Good night, sir. Hey. Is that you, Haven? 
Well, well, hello, Kittredge. Well, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm a friend of the family. Didn't you know? Just dropped in for a chat. Now, don't try to be funny. I asked you a question. I could ask you the same question. Well, I telephoned Tracy and her phone didn't answer. I, I was worried, so I walked over from the gatehouse. I was worried, too. About what? Well, uh, what do you think of this fellow Connor? Or do you? Now, listen, if you're trying to insinuate... Oh, my dear chap, I wouldn't insinuate anything, only... Oh. Listen. Who's that? Oh, that? Oh, well, come on. I'll walk you around the house and tell you all about it. Something's going on here and I'm staying. So are you. Why, that... It's that Connor. What's he doing with Tracy? Now, calm yourself. Just He's calm carrying down. her in his arms. He's carrying Tracy. Uh-oh. Oh. Don't stop, Mikey. Keep crooning. Right here? Okay, somewhere. <laughs> now, what is... Now, easy, Kittredge. She's not hurt, is she, Connor? No. Not wounded, sir, but dead. Oh, it seems the minute she hit the water, the wine hit her. Now, look here. Yes, a likely story, Connor. What'd you say? I said a likely story. Take her into the house. Now, listen, if you think that it... You'll be down directly? Yes, if you want. I want. Hello, Dexter. Hello, George. Hello, Mike. Second door to the right, Connor. Mind you, don't wake Dinah up. I'll be right back directly. My Peter made a play, made a play. Did you know? Oh, this is horrible. Yes, how are the mighty fallen? <laughs> but if I know Tracy, she won't remember much of this. For the second time in her life, she'll draw quite a tidy blank. Oh? You don't believe her, do you? Believe what? Well, the the implications of what you saw, let us say. Well, what else am I to believe? Well, that's entirely up to you. I've got eyes, I've got imagination, haven't I? I don't know. Have you? Oh, so you pretend not to believe it? Yes, I pretend not to. Then you don't know women? Well, that's possible. Then you're a fool. <laughs> well, that's quite possible. Now, now, you won't be too hard on her, will you? I'll make up my own mind what I'll do. Well, we're all only human, you know. You, all of you, with your sophisticated ideas. Yes, ain't it awful? <laughs> well, I'm back. What do you want to do about it? Why, you low I'll sneaking... take care of this, Kittredge. Oh, please, listen, Haman. This is my affair. What right have you to... A husband. Now, till tomorrow. You can go now, Kittredge. I'll handle the rest of it, too. I'll speak to you tomorrow, Haman. Sure, sure. Well, uh... Oh, hey, hey Connor, come on, wake up. Come on. How do you feel? Well, now, look, uh, if you think that... I, I know, I know. I'm sorry, but I... I thought I'd better hit you before he did. He's in better shape than I am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you'll do. Is there anything wrong, sir? No, not a thing, Mac. Just as quiet as a church. Who, who's that lying there? That's Mr. Connor, Mac. Oh, doggone. I thought it might have been Mr. Kittredge. Oh, well, now, we can't have everything, Mac. Good night. Uh, good night, sir. <laughs> you'll hear the third act of The Philadelphia Story. If you've started buying war bonds, perhaps you haven't figured that what you're doing for your country is working out to your own best interests, too. But it is. And there's nothing unpatriotic about the fact that these bonds are a gilt-edge investment, too, as Mrs. Brown here knows. Do you mind Mrs. Brown revealing your personal affairs? No, I don't. Our income is $35 a week. It's quite a sacrifice to put 10% of that into war bonds. But I told my husband that we'll save quite a bit of money. Indeed you will. That's been carefully figured. 10% of $35 is $3.50 a week. 50 cents a day. If you buy stamps and bonds at that rate for five years, you'll have bonds worth at maturity over $1,200. That'll buy you the finest car you ever drove when the war is won. And this is one of the safest investments in the world, isn't it? Yes. These bonds are backed by the entire resources of the United States government. 
You're going to get back $4 cash for every $3 you put in. That's a lot. Yes, but there are a few people who are thinking up reasons to excuse themselves for not buying these bonds. If you're one of them, your soldiers ask you to stop figuring why you can't buy them and start to find out how you can. Put 10% of your pay every payday into war bonds. Set your mind on victory and buy United States war bonds starting now. Our producer, Mr. DeMille. The curtain rises on the third act of the Philadelphia story. The wedding day has dawned bright and fair, and the events of the wedding eve are a thing of the past, particularly for Tracy. She can't remember anything. She can't think of anything. Without propping her eyes open with her fingers, she can't even see anything. To comfort her in this predicament comes the little old comforter, Dinah. How do you feel, Tracy? Oh, fine. You look horrible. I know. Tracy, I hate you to get married and go away. I'll miss you, darling. I'll miss all of you. You know, I had the funniest dream about you last night. Did you? I dreamed I got up and went over to the window. And guess what I dreamed I saw coming out of the woods? I haven't the faintest idea. A skunk? Well, well, sort of. It was Mr. Connor. Mr. Connor? Yes. With his both arms full of something. And guess what it turned out to be. What? You. Me? Me? Mr. Connor was carrying you. Wasn't it funny? It looked sort of like you were coming from the pool. The pool. I'm going crazy. I'm standing here solidly on my own two hands and going crazy. Then what? Then after a while, I opened my door. And there he was in the hall, still coming along with you. Puffing like a steam engine. His wind can't be very good. Then what? Well, then he... Yes, I couldn't possibly. Then he just sailed right into your room with you, and that scared me. So I got up and went to your door and peeked in to make sure you were all right. And guess what? What? You were. He was gone by then. <laughs> gone? Of course he was gone. He was never there. I know, Tracy. Well, I should certainly hope you did. It was just a dream, I guess. Tracy, Dexter says so, too. Dexter? Tell me now, Lord, you little fiend, if you Why? told Dex... Oh. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I'm testing the air. <laughs> I like it, but it isn't like me. Well, hello, Donna. How do you do, Mr. Connor? Did you have a good sleep? Wonderful, wonderful. You? Marvelous. Have you ever seen a handsomer day? Never, never. What did such a bag? I got it for nothing, for being a good girl. Oh. Well, uh, Donna, how are you? Don't worry. I'm going. Why should you? Well, I guess you must have things you wish to discuss. Mm-hmm. Only remember, it's getting late. She's always trying to make situations. Oh. Well. Well, what's the matter with your chin? Oh, uh, what does the children? A little. What happened? Well, I guess I stuck it out too far. Into a door in the dark? Yes, yes, that's it. Well, Tracy, what about you? You all right? Me? Yeah. Oh, of course. Why shouldn't I be? I... I had a simply wonderful evening. I hope you enjoyed it, too. The last part of it. Really? Why, especially the last? Well, uh, Tracy, you you asking me? Oh, you mean the swim? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we did swim. And yeah. 
so forth, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> Dead, uh... Oh, Tracy, darling. Mike. Well, what can I say to you? Tell me, darling. Not anything. Don't say anything, and especially not darling. Well, then you're going through with it, huh? Through with what? Through the wedding. Why shouldn't I? Well, you, you said last night that... Oh, I said a lot of things last night, it seems. Okay, no dice. Also, no regrets about last night, huh? Why should I have? Well... You don't know what I mean. I'm asking you. Tell me straight out. Tell me the reason why I should have had... No, don't. Don't tell me anything. All right. <laughs> Doctor's orders. What is it? <laughs> Just the juice of a few flowers. It's a type of stinger. Removes the sting. Oh, Dex, don't say that. Well, why not, Red? Nothing will. Nothing ever can. Oh, Dex, I've done the most terrible thing to you. To me? Oh, I doubt that. I doubt it very much, dear. Dex, what am I going to do? Well, why ask me, darling? Where do I come into it anymore? Aren't you confusing me with someone else? A fellow named Kittridge or something. George. Hmm? Sure. I've got to tell him. Tell him what, darling? I've got to tell him. Well, you've got to tell him. You've got to tell him, I suppose. But if he's got any brains at all, he'll have realized by now what a fool he made of himself. When? Last night. Was he here, too? Sure. Good golly, why didn't you sell tickets? <laughs> Say something, Dex. Say anything. No, no, you do. Oh, Dex, I'm such an unholy mess of a oh, girl. No, no, that's no good. That's not even conversation. But never in my life. Not if I live to be a hundred will I ever forget how you tried to stand me on my feet again today. <laughs> Go on, you're in great shape. Tell me, uh, what do you think of my wedding present? I'd like my presence at least acknowledged, you know. It was beautiful. Yeah. And sweet sex. Yeah, yeah, she was quite a boat, the true love, wasn't she? Mm. My, she was yaw. She was yaw, all right. I wasn't, was I? <laughs> Not very. Oh, you were good at the bright work, though. I made her shine. Mm-hmm. I'm designing another one now, along more practical lines. What do you call her? I thought the true love second. Dexter, if you call any boat that, I promise you I'll blow you and Ed out of the water. i tell you what you can call her if you like. What, darling? In fond remembrance of me, the easy virtue. Oh, no, shut up, Red. I can't have you thinking things like that about yourself. What am I supposed to think when I... Oh, I don't know. I don't know anything anymore. Oh, well, no. That sounds very hopeful, Red. Hmm, that sounds just fine. Tracy, we're almost ready. Stand up, dear. Let me see your dress. Mother, I... Oh, yes, I dear, it's lovely. George will be right over. Oh, here, I forgot. Here's a note he sent you this morning. A note? Good morning, Mr. Donner. Hello, Miss Embry. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, by the way, Dexter, Mr. Sidney Kidd telephoned. I was to tell you that you win. Whatever on earth does that mean? Fine. Well, I have a feeling it won't be so hard for me to resign now. And belts will be worn tighter this winter. Ah, well, Red, I, uh, I'm afraid this is the deadline. So is this. Listen, everybody, it's from George. My dear Tracy, I want you to know that you will always be my friend, but your conduct last night was so shocking to my ideals of womanhood that my attitude toward you and the prospect of a happy and beautiful life together has been changed materially. Oh, hello, George. Come and listen. Where's in front of all these people? It's only a letter from a friend. They're my friends, too. Here's the last of it. Your breach of common decency certainly entitles me to a full explanation before going through with our proposed marriage. In the light of day, I am sure that you will agree with me. Yes, George, I quite agree with you. That's all you have to say? What else? On the very eve of your wedding, an affair with another man. Oh, now, wait just a minute. 
Kittredge, it may interest you to know that this so-called affair consisted of exactly two kisses on a rather late swim. Thanks, Mike, but there's no need to defend... After which I deposited Tracy in a room and promptly returned down here to you two, which doubtless you remember. Doubtless, without a doubt. You, you mean to say that was all there was to it? I do. Why? Was I so unattractive, so distant, so forbidding or something that you... Well, this is fine talk, too. I'm asking a question. You were extremely attractive, but you were also a little worse or better for wine, and there are rules about that. Thank you, Mike. I think men are wonderful, the little dears. (laughs) Then if it hadn't been for the drink last night, all this might not have happened. Apparently, nothing did. What made you think it had? Well, I'm not going to quibble, Tracy. Let bygones be bygones. Now, what do you say? Yes. And goodbye, George. I don't understand. Please, goodbye. You're too good for me, George. You're a hundred times too good. But I... And I'd make you most unhappy, most. That is, I'd do my best to. All right. Possibly it's just as well. Yes, I thought you'd finally come to that conclusion. I have a feeling you had more to do with this than anyone. Possibly, but you were a great help. You and your rotten class. Oh, class my eye. You're on your way out, a lot of you. And good riddance. Well, there goes George. Hey, come on. I'm waiting for you. Oh, my sainted aunt. Well, don't what? just stand there. You better think of something. Shut that door. Shut the door. Next. Did you see them out there? That welter of faces. My, they look solemn. What in the name of all this holy am I to do? Gracie. Yes, Mike. Now, look. I got you into this thing, and I'll get you out of it. Will you marry me, Tracy? No, Mike. Thanks, but... Mm-mm. Nope. Why not? Because... Because I don't think Liz would like it, and I'm not sure you would. And I'm even a little doubtful about myself. But I am beholden to you, Mike. I'm most beholden. But they're in there. They're waiting. Mike, don't get too conventional all at once, will you? There'll be a reaction. Come on, cheer up, Red. It'll be all right. You've been gone out of jams before. Please, Mother, it's all right, dear. Your father will make a very simple announcement. Is there anything special you want me to say, Tracy? No, no, I'll say it. Whatever it is, I'll say it. I won't be got out of anything anymore, thanks. Tell them to stop the music. Tracy, listen. Dex, what can I say? Just open that door and uh, go ahead. I'll prompt you. Ladies and gentlemen. Dex. Well, Dex, Dex. Ladies and gentlemen, two years ago, I did you out of a wedding in this house by eloping to Maryland. Two years ago, you were invited to a wedding in this house. And then I did you out of it by eloping to Maryland. Right. Which was very bad manners. Which was very bad manners. But I hope to make it up to you by going through with it now as originally planned. But I hope to make it up to you by by going beautifully through with it now as originally and most beautifully planned. So, so if you just keep your seat for a minute. So if you just keep your seat for a minute. Well, that's all. That's all. Dex, are you sure? Not the least, but I'll risk it, will you? <laughs> you bet. You didn't do it just to soften the blow. Oh, uh, no, Tracy. You want to save my face? Oh, it's a nice little face. Oh, Dex, I'll be yaw now. I'll promise to be yaw. You'll yours. be whatever you like. You're my redhead. Now, are you all set? All set. Now, will you be best man, Mike? Honor, TK. Maid of honor, Liz. Matron of honor, remember, Joe Smith. Oh, how did this ever happen? Well, come on, let's get in there. Ah. See you soon, Red. See you soon, Dex. Tracy, darling. I love you, Father. I love you, too, Tracy. Never in my life have I been so full of love before. Come along. Come along. Wait. How do I look? Like a queen. Like a goddess. And you know how I feel. How? Like a human. Like a human being.
And that was Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, and James Stewart in the Philadelphia story from the Lux Radio Theatre. I do hope you enjoyed that. Well, that's it from me for a while. I will do my best to pop back around Christmas to wish you all well. If you want more Attaboy Clarence, you can make your way through the back episodes. There are quite a few. Or for a very small monthly fee, you can become a patron of the shows and get access to lots of exclusive bonus episodes that are all there right now for you to download. If that interests you, then listen on to the end to find out how. It just remains for me to say thank you all for listening. I will be back as soon as I can be. In the meantime, do take very good care of yourselves. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month. And in return, you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you.